one of the greatest promises that Jesus ever gave is this promise from Mark 9.23. All things are possible to him who believes. And so Jesus is saying <clears throat> that if we have faith, we can see the impossible become possible. We can experience the miraculous working of the Lord in our life. Now, actually, Jesus was not the first one to make this promise. It is actually found all throughout the Bible. Job said, I know that you can do all things. Jeremiah said, nothing is too hard for you. The angel Gabriel said to Mary, the mother of Jesus, nothing will be impossible with God. And then Jesus, again, recorded in all three synoptic gospels, said... With God, all things are possible. Now, as we look at those promises this morning, I think if we were totally honest this morning, we might say, sometimes we struggle with this promise. I used to serve on a panel called Ask the Pastor, and a question was sent in to us by a young man, and I want you to listen to what he wrote to us. He said, I have an illness I am, I am unable to get better from. My pastor says, I need more faith to be healed. What do you think? Now think about what this young man was struggling with. I should be able to experience a miracle of healing, says my pastor. Since I'm not, there must be something wrong with my faith. Or worse, we might conclude the promise isn't really true and so become disillusioned with God. Now, if you've ever felt this way, perhaps I have news for you this morning. There is help because the very first place that this promise is ever made gives us conditions. And I think by now I don't have to ask you who do you suppose this is first made to in the scriptures. I think you know. It is Abraham. To Abraham, God said, is anything too hard for the Lord? And there we discover that there are conditions to receive miracles. Now this morning, I want us to return to this message in Genesis 18 entitled, The Conditions for Miracles Today, because I think it is so helpful as we consider this and how God works in the lives of his people today. Now remember, last Sunday we saw the first condition, we have to be in covenant fellowship with God. Now this morning, here is the second condition, and that is this, God will fulfill his promises to you. And the last two words are the key words. They have to be promises that God has made for you and for me as believers today. I want you to take your Bibles and turn again to Genesis 18, and I want to read starting in verse 9, down to verse 11, as we continue the narrative of these three men who came to the tent of Abraham to announce this miracle birth. And notice what verse 9 says. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. 
Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Now, this is very clearly a promise of a miracle that is especially designed for Sarah. If there's any doubt about who these three men are, it is now erased because they know Sarah's name without asking. Uh, If you know somebody's name without asking, that indicates you are omniscient, and only God is omniscient. So we know now the speaker here is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Son of God. This is the Lord Jesus Christ before his incarnation in the New Testament. And I want you to just stop for a moment and notice here how tender God is with his children how concerned he is. If you might be here this morning and you would say, you know, does God notice me? Does he know the issues that I'm struggling with? Does he understand how long I have been dealing with a particular problem? Here is your God. Here is your God. And I love this scene because it shows us the kind of God we have. You see, Sarah was not present in chapter 17 when God announced the miracle birth to Abraham of Isaac. But Sarah, being a believer and very much involved, obviously, in this whole role, God now comforts her. And it is so personal It is so sweet as he comes to this worried, despairing woman, and he says to her, don't worry. It's been 24 years. I know it has dragged on for a long time, but I'm going to perform a miracle for you, I promise. If you're here this morning wondering, does God notice me? Does he understand all that I have been dealing with? Does he know how long it's been going on? What an encouraging scene this is with a tender, compassionate, caring God. Now here's the application for us at this point. You can receive miracles if God has promised them to you. And isn't that the difficulty? Sometimes we claim promises that we have no right to claim. In the formative years of my Christian experience, we used to sing this song on a very regular basis. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. I'm trusting in his word divine Every promise in the book is mine. What's the problem with this song? It's not true. Not every promise in the Bible is mine. Some years ago, I was listening to Pastor J. Vernon McGee on the radio, and he said something that stuck with me. I've never forgotten. It struck me. In a very great way. This is what he said. He said, all scripture is for us, but not all scripture is to us. 
And we have to distinguish between the promises that are for us to teach us, but are not to us to claim. There are many parents, many couples, who have not been able to have natural-born children. They could not come to a passage like this and say, well, God promised Abraham and Sarah a miracle birth, therefore I'm going to claim that promise for me. No, that's not the way it works. This is a promise for Abraham and for Sarah. I've heard Isaiah 53, 5 used in a similar way. Let me remind you of what this verse says. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us, peace, brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are, what's the last word? Healed. When Ellen's brother was dying of kidney disease, a very well-intentioned woman said to me, we have the right to healing. And to be honest with you, it was somewhat offensive because we were praying for my brother-in-law to be healed, and the implication was, you really don't believe in healing. Now, she is a woman who loves the Lord, and I believe she was well-intentioned, so I did not get upset with her, but I just want to say to you, that is a misuse of this verse. And there's two reasons why. This verse is not promising healing. Number one, this is a figure of speech. It is a metaphor for salvation. The healing that is promised is from sin, not from sickness. And the reason we know that is the right interpretation is because this is the way Peter, in 1 Peter 2.24, understands Isaiah 53.5. Look at what Peter says and how he applies this verse to us. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been, what's the last word? Healed. See, it's very clear here. Peter is using the verse in its right meaning. The context clearly has to do with healing from sin. So if we were to ask this question this morning, and I think it's a question that all of us at times ask, can God heal me? I think here's the answer the Bible gives. Healing is possible, so pray for it. But healing is not promised, so don't presume it. That's what the Bible is teaching us. Healing is possible, so pray for it. Healing is not promised, so don't presume it. Also, we have to realize that sometimes God chooses to heal indirectly through doctors, hospitals, and medicine. High blood pressure runs in my family. I've had high blood pressure since my late 30s. 
And when we moved up here to Marquette, the first doctor that I had put me on a brand new medication. You know what I call that little pink pill? The miracle pill. The miracle pill. And God has used that pill to normalize my blood pressure just as certainly as if he had performed a direct miracle. You see, God may heal indirectly through medicine, doctors, and hospitals, as well as directly. See, we never want to limit how God works, and we never want to claim promises that are not to us. Now, I can hear somebody here this morning saying, Pastor Brian, what direct miracles can I claim? And I'm so glad you asked that question. Because I want to show you ten miracles every child of God has already experienced or have been promised by the Lord. And by the time we're done, you will really be awake here at this point, and you'll be shouting amen and uh, hallelujah. Look at the first column. This is who we are in our unsaved condition. This is how we are born into this world. The second column is the supernatural miracle of salvation that the Holy Spirit brings about. Now let's just look at them for a moment. In our unsaved condition, we have blind eyes, but Ephesians 1.18 says about believers, we have enlightened eyes. We're born with a darkened mind, but Romans 12.2 says we can have a renewed mind as a Christian. As a non-believer, we have a hard heart, but Ezekiel 36, 26 tells us that the Lord has given to his people a new heart. We are born with a dead spirit, but Ephesians 2, 5 says that our spirits are made alive when we come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. As a non-believer, our, our hands are defiled because of the wicked things we have done, but James 4.8 says we can experience clean hands. We are born with closed ears that do not listen to God, but Psalm 46 says God has opened our ears to His voice and His word. As a non-believer, we have an unclean mouth in all the wrong things that we've said. But Isaiah 6, 4-7 says we can have a clean mouth. Our tongue is poisoned. But James 3, 8-11 says we can experience a pure tongue. The Bible says naturally we have crooked feet that take us astray. But Hebrews 12, 13 says as a Christian we now have straight feet that can cause us to walk in the ways of the Lord. And all of us know we have a lowly body that is one day going to die. But Philippians 3, 21 says the Lord will someday give us a glorious body. Now look at this. The first column theologians describe as total depravity. Every area of our being has been affected by sin. That's our natural condition. But the second column, that's called the new birth. And that is the supernatural miracle that the Holy Spirit brings about in the life of every child of God. Would you look at that? 
No part of us God has not touched with a miracle. Every believer is a walking miracle from their head all the way down to their feet. And all God's people this morning said, Amen. Amen. These are the miracles God has promised to you if you will believe him for them. And that's the third condition this morning for miracles in our life. The third condition is believe God and act on his promise. Believe God and act on his promise. Look with me at verse 12, if you would, and let me read down to verse 15. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Now, I think this is one of the best definitions of faith that I've ever seen. Faith means believing God and acting on his promises. And this is beautifully illustrated in the whole episode and narrative of the life of Abraham and Sarah. And I love how Hebrews 11.8 illustrates this truth about what faith is. By faith, Abraham obeyed. He acted. When he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out, he acted, we might say, by faith not knowing where he was going. There's what faith is. Faith is believing God and acting on his promise. Now, isn't that where Abraham and Sarah failed in the Hagar incident when they brought Hagar into their marriage in order to have a child? They failed to believe God and act in faith by waiting for him to fulfill his promise. And now God comes to them again and he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Abraham and Sarah, believe me now this time and act on your faith by waiting for me to fulfill the promise. What are we to make of Sarah's laugh here? We saw back in chapter 17 that when Abraham laughed, it was a laugh of wonder. God is going to perform a miracle for me. What is Sarah's laugh here? Verse 12 says she laughed inside the tent as she heard the promise made by the Lord outside the tent. Then she lied. Verse 15, she said, I did not laugh. By the way, isn't that outrageous to the living God? To laugh at what the living God says and then to lie when you are pointed out for laughing? You know what amazes me here? 
What amazes me is God's reaction. Despite this insult to him, did you notice how mild his rebuke is? First of all, in verse 13, he asks a question simply to reveal who he is. Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? I'm the omniscient Lord. I know what she was thinking to herself And I know that she laughed to herself because I'm an omniscient God. And by the way, that got Sarah's attention. And then the second question that he asks is to show what he can do. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? The omniscient Lord is the omnipotent Lord. And then when she denies it and says, no, I didn't laugh, God simply corrects her in verse 15. He says, you did laugh. How mild that is. That would be like us saying to our children, you did sass your mother. And I think they would be very happy if that's all they got. What a mild rebuke this is. Sarah, you did laugh. You know what I think this suggests to me? This suggests that Sarah did not laugh in defiant unbelief. She laughed in doubt, didn't she? She laughed in doubt. She felt embarrassed over the fact that she laughed at a promise of the living God, and therefore she tried to retract it. Now that she had been revealed, and now that she knew it was the Lord, she had not denounced in derision, she had doubted in disbelief. She had not doubt, denounced in derision, she had doubted in disbelief. Hey, here, who today hasn't done that? Who hasn't done that? I have prayed sometimes doubting God. And then when he answered, I was so embarrassed. Lord, I I prayed, but I didn't really think you were going to answer. And now that you have, I'm kind of embarrassed. We've all been there. And when that's the case, God's rebuke of us is mild. It's mild. You see, what he wants to do is encourage our faith. That's the whole point here. Sarah, you've been suffering. Sarah, it's been 24 years Sarah, you disobeyed me and and tried it your way, and, and that didn't work out. I tried to teach you, believe my promises, and act upon them. And now, because of your doubt, I'm just going to mildly rebuke you. Because I want to encourage your faith. If we were to put all this together today, What is the truth about miracles? Well, I think that it would be something like this. 
If you are in covenant fellowship with Jesus, you will receive the miracles he chooses for you. So just believe all things are possible with God. Pray and obey him. That's the lesson here. And it comes right to where we all live. If you are in covenant fellowship with Jesus, you will receive the miracles he chooses for you. So just believe all things are possible with God. Pray and obey him. And all God's people said together, Amen. Let's bow together, shall we? And let's pray. Am I speaking today to a weary, troubled, or burdened soul? The issue that you have struggled with has gone on for so long. And there seems to be no end in sight. And maybe today you're doubting your own faith. Maybe there's something wrong with my trust in God. Or maybe you're doubting God himself. He's not really there. He doesn't notice me. He's not concerned. And if you haven't been there in the last week, or months, or years. You've certainly been there before. And you will be there in the future. And this morning, God has revealed himself as a tender, caring, compassionate God. He knows we struggle with doubt. He knows we often pray, wondering if our prayers are being heard in heaven, and will an answer be sent. And this morning, he wants you to know that he has already performed ten miracles from the top of your head. To the bottom of your feet. He has performed the greatest miracle, the miracle of the new birth that has touched every part of you. And if he has done the greatest for you, he will certainly do the least, even though at times 
you may struggle to know if he is there. And if you have claimed promises that are not promises to you, tell the Lord you understand that's a mistake. And we have to distinguish between the promises that are for us to teach us and the promises that are actually to us that we can claim. And then as we walk this way with the Lord, we need to trust Him, pray, and obey, believing that in His wisdom and goodness, He will fulfill all His will for us. Let him speak to your heart today. Let him comfort and encourage you as he did this long forbearing woman whose example is designed to encourage the faith of all God's people. Gracious Lord, thank you for showing us a picture of yourself. For it's only as we know you that we can truly walk with you. We thank you now for Jesus' sake. Amen.